Grace, mercy, and peace to each one of you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you please bow your head with me? Gracious Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I started to say be seated, but you're already seated. As <clears throat> you know, it doesn't take very long for a, a youngster, which usually means somebody younger than we are, a youngster who is uh, going off to school and maybe he's in the second or third grade and he begins to spend some time at his friend's house or something like that, it doesn't take very long before he realizes that his, his friend's family is different from his own family. And they have different habits and different ways of thinking, thinking about things. And then that becomes more pronounced when they get into high school and there are kids from all over, the, all over the place in that high school. And then, of course, it's even more pronounced when we get into college and we have people from all over the world that we meet with. And we, we, we begin to see that their ways of thinking are not necessarily our ways of thinking. And I think maybe I was in my 30s before it finally dawned on me that everybody else might not be weird, that maybe it was me. And, <clears throat> and uh, uh, well, that clarified a few things, I suppose. But, um, you know, we have, we have Democrats and Republicans, and, and in this world there are socialists and capitalists, and they don't think alike on, on issues. In fact, on a lot of issues, they're, they're polar opposites. And now imagine that if there are those kinds of disparities in the way that just our fellow human beings think about things, imagine the disparity between what God thinks and what you think or what I think. In fact, God addresses that issue and he says, my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways. Man, that's, I mean, that's a big, a big chasm, isn't that, between his ways and our ways. Our lesson for this morning provides an example of that, of that very difference. It is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning with verse 13 and actually ending with verse 13 because it's only verse 13. And as we read it, we want to contemplate this idea that God's mercy, that is, his way of dealing in mercy, is not like ours, or at least not like that way which comes naturally to us. In 2 Samuel 12, David is visited by a prophet named Nathan. Nathan was actually sent to David by God himself because David had fallen into a deep sin. He's committed adultery with another man's wife and then had that man murdered to try and cover it up. And when Nathan arrives, he has to confront David with this. And so he's sort of afraid to just come right out with it, I suppose. So he tells David a story. And the story is so moving that David cannot but help realize 
when Nathan says, David, you are the man that I'm talking about in this story, he's, David cannot help but be confronted with his own sin. And that's when we get to our verse this morning, verse 13, and here's what happens. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. It's a short passage, isn't it? But in that passage, I'd like for you to look with me at three ways in which God's mercy is different from our natural mercy. That is the natural tendency of our, of our own human flesh. Okay? And the first way in which God's mercy is different from ours is that of timing. When someone sins against us, the natural tendency is to get angry, right? To get hurt, and then to hold on to that anger and that hurt and, and, and think about it and imagine it and brood on it and imagine what we would do if it ever, if it ever happened again. And, and then if that person comes and says they're sorry and they apologize, what's our tendency? If you have a brother or sister, especially one who's close in age to you, how did you respond when that happened? Or at least, how did you respond when mom and dad weren't standing there trying to enforce a proper response from you, right? How did you respond when it was just you? you know, I'll tell you how I could respond to my brother was, all right, if you promise not to ever do it again, and if you give me half of that Tootsie Roll, then, then I'll forgive you, you know, that kind of thing. Holding a grudge comes naturally to you and me. But that is not the way of Christ. What was the first thing out of Nathan's mouth when David confessed his sin? The Lord has put away your sin. First thing, first thing he said. God's forgiveness is instantaneous. Secondly, <clears throat> The second way I'd like to point out that God's mercy is unlike yours or mine is in its completeness. Even after we forgive someone, maybe you've done this, someone who's done something to us and, and then they've apologized and you have forgiven them, our minds can still go back to that event and still rehash it and rehearse it time and again and sometimes people for years go back to these events, and they've tried to forgive and tried to forgive and tried to forgive, but they just can't forget, right? Not so with God. When he puts David's sin away, he puts it so far away that it is irretrievable. God has put away your sin. Now, this is interesting. It is irretrievable. You know what God says? He says, I will remember their sins no more. Now, that's a funny thing for an omniscient God to say that he's going to forget something. But the only thing that he ever forgets are the sins that he forgives. Wow, isn't that a nice thought that when you stand before him on the day of judgment, he will not remember your sins. Wow, what a nice thought that is, huh? The omniscient God forgets the sins that he forgives. The third way in which God's mercy is different from that of, of our natural human tendency is in the amount that he forgives. When Nathan says that the Lord has put away your sin, 
Notice he doesn't say sins. Now, David has committed this, this sin for a period of weeks it has gone on. Maybe months it has gone on. And he's committed a lot of sins during that time. David doesn't say the Lord has put away your sins as if he's just talking about certain sins. He says the Lord has put away your sin. It's collective. It's all of it. God has put away all of your sin. Sometimes, you know what? I think we can be guilty of limited forgiveness. We say, well, I'll forgive you this time. But listen, buddy, you've just about used up all the times I'm going to forgive you, right? You ever done that? You ever thought that? At least, you, I'm sure you, nobody has said that in here, but have you thought it, maybe? You know, this, I'm getting to my limit, my friend. And you don't really mean friend when you say that, you know? That's a sad thing to say, though, because that's really not mercy at all. It's no forgiveness at all. Not only can we do that with others, but we can do that for ourselves, and we can project that way of forgiveness upon God. You know it? You ever think back upon some sins that you've committed in the past and believe that maybe God is like that with you? That his forgiveness must also be limited? <laughs> Listen to me. God is not like you. He is not like me. His mercies are new every morning, and that's his way of saying he never runs out. Think for just a minute now, if you would, about God's forgiveness and about this passage that St. Paul says, where he says we are to be imitators of God rather than imitators of man. That means we are to be great in mercy and forgiveness, but how can that happen when I am so filled with this sinful flesh that wants to bring up things again and again? There's only one way that I know of to really accomplish that in a sinful human life. And that is to really begin to understand God's forgiveness of you and of me. And that, is, that takes some thought, that takes some contemplation. To contemplate how he loved you so much and he wanted you so much that he sent his only son to the cross to pay for your sins. And he bled his blood and he took the punishment that was rightly yours and mine. He bled his blood to purchase your forgiveness. And because of that, think about this, he harbors no ill will toward you at all. There are no painful memories when he thinks of you. The thoughts that he thinks of you are of love and of kindness and mercy. And when you come into his presence, he's not thinking about what you did last week that you shouldn't have done or three years ago or 30 or 40 years ago. His thoughts of you are of love and kindness because Jesus has taken everything else away. Now take that into your mind. Take it into your heart, that forgiveness. Take it in the Lord's Supper and internalize it. Take it in your daily Bible reading and believe it. And then you know what? Then that same kind of mercy will start oozing out of you. May God grant that for each one of us. Amen. Now may his peace keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.
Would you please bow your head with me? Gracious Father, we know your will, but because of the weakness of our flesh, we are not able to fulfill it completely. But with your help, we can start. And so we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit into our hearts, that in steadfast faith we may cling to your Son, our Savior, and find comfort in his passion and death, and believe the forgiveness of sins through him. And then, in willing obedience to your will, lead lives that are pleasing to you on earth until by your grace we depart this world. In Jesus' name, amen.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Thank you.